Welcome to the Variety Hour on AM 990, where local leaders talk Memphis. Listen to you, move your mouth. I bet you come way down south. Now don't tell me, let me guess. You from the town that I love best. Talk Memphis, I wish you would. Talk Memphis, you sound so good. Talk Memphis, high on the bluff. I swear I can't get enough. Welcome to Talk Money on AM 990. And now here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. Good morning. I am not Jim Shoemaker. I'm Keith Quinn, M for Jim. This is Talk Money here on AM 990, the voice of Memphis. Well, even though Jim is out of the studio today, he had another commitment. We have got a fantastic show lined up for you. We're going to have a couple of the advisors from Shoemaker Financial coming on to talk to us. Stanton Brown is going to talk about money and marriage. And Dane Williams will be talking about four reasons you can't retire like your parents or grandparents. And we talk a lot about that when we're thinking about the economy, we're thinking about the stock market, and we're thinking how the market has changed over the years. And I would definitely say this is not your grandfather's stock market. Uh, some of the statistics that we look at, we look back over the last 30 years. Uh, and guys, I'm going to bring you all in on this. And, and number one, good morning and welcome, Stanton, Dane. Glad to have you guys here. Good morning. Thanks, thanks yeah, for having, thanks us. having us. You're quite welcome. So guys, we look back at some numbers 30 years ago, and we were thinking about how long you hold a stock. This is how long you hold an individual security. So what do you guess the average holding period was 30 years ago for a stock? Uh, let's see, 30 years ago? 30 years ago. Uh, and you'll probably be close. 10, 15 years? Yeah. So 30 years ago, the average holding period was for a stock was 15 years. So you'd buy a stock and hold on to it for 15 years. You were a long-term investor. You had that long-term mindset. Well, guess how long the average holding period is today? A year. Eight days. <laughs> this is not your granddaddy stock market. Uh, so we do see a lot of trading. We see a lot of volatility. You know, one of the things that we talk about that sometimes drives volatility in the market is electronic trading. And, you know, we think about how quick these trades execute. If you just do a blink of your eyes, that is 100,000 microseconds. 100,000 microseconds, just a blink of the eye. And an electronic trade can go off in seven microseconds. So these things trade fast, and they trade these stocks all the time. And that does accentuate the volatility that we see sometimes. But if we're looking at the overall market, we always like to think about fundamentals. And for us, fundamentals are earnings. So we've seen a lot of the earnings have been reported so far, and they haven't really been that bad. Uh, the last report we've got, 455 of the S&P 500 companies have been reporting. And earnings were down 7.1%, which is a drop, and we knew they were going to be a drop. Uh, revenues were down as well, about 1.7%. But of those 455 companies that have reported, 71% of them were able to beat their earnings expectations, partly because the expectations were lower, but they were able to beat the expectations. And one of the big drag on earnings is this quarter, as it has been in the past, energy. The energy sector down over 107%. That has pulled earnings down. You know, we've seen these several quarters of negative earnings growth. We will probably continue to see that into the second quarter, but we should start pulling out of that in the second quarter and hopefully get back to positive earnings in the third quarter of this year. Another thing that we think about a lot, and we talked about a lot last year, and I know Jim talks about it a lot with our listeners, is the impact a strong dollar has had. A strong dollar has had a negative impact on the overseas sales of U.S. companies. Well, in the first quarter, the dollar dropped 4.2%. That was some welcome relief from overseas sales. We hadn't really seen that in about a year. So that gives our companies here domiciled in the U.S. a little bit of a tailwind for earnings rather than a headwind for earnings. So that has been another positive for the economy in the short term. 
you know, we've talked about recession. We see some of the jobs numbers that aren't quite as good as we had hoped. The last jobs report, we only added 160,000 jobs. The consensus was right around 200,000. So that number was a little bit weak, but it was only one report. So we'll wait and see what the next one says. We also saw gross domestic product, how much the economy grew in the first quarter. In the first quarter, the economy only grew half a percent. That is not as good as we were expecting, but Historically, over the last several years, first quarters have been low on the estimates, and this is just the first estimate of first quarter growth. So we would expect that number to be revised up. And keeping in mind that the technical definition of a recession uh, is two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth. So we don't have negative growth. We are still growing. We're just not growing quite as fast as we would like. Guys, something else that we always talk about, and I know I hammer you guys with this stuff all the time, uh, the market hates uncertainty, right? So when we're thinking about uncertainty, what are some of the things on the horizon? These are potential headwinds to the stock market. Well, the first one's coming up on June 23rd. On June 23rd, the United Kingdom is holding a referendum vote on whether to stay in the uh, European Union. That is going to be a relatively big deal. Remember, there are 28 members of the European Union. The United Kingdom is a big part of that. Will they vote to leave the European Union? And right now, uh, I think the stay uh, people are a little bit ahead, but it's really close. So it could go either way. And they've got a good point when they're thinking about trade restrictions. They're thinking about regulations passed by the European Union in Brussels. You know, that goes against the idea of sovereignty. And the English are very uh, focused on, you know, wanting to be able to control their own destiny. So we'll see, you know, which way that vote could go. But that could bring volatility into the market. Now, what that would do, let's just sort of play this out as a hypothetical. The Europe, uh, United Kingdom votes to leave the European Union. There'll be volatility in the market. Everything would drop on a macro headline like that. But that creates opportunity because as all of these companies drop in value, some of them are going to be unfairly beaten up by this. And that gives us an opportunity to buy great companies at a cheaper price. And that's always what we're thinking about long term. One of the things that we see, and we're always having this conversation with our clients, they get nervous whenever they see these big headlines. Exactly. But in the end of the day, when you start thinking about the companies, whether they're producing iPhones or Corollas or whatever it is, how much are these big things really impacting how many people are buying iPhones and Corollas? And it's not that much. That's exactly right. And that's a great point. So we think about individual companies. You know, would we want to own the Europe as a whole? Maybe not. But there's definitely some companies we want to own and some companies that won't be as impacted by this as others. And also when we look at, you know, how much is the United Kingdom tied to Europe? Well, Europe only exports about 7% of their exports go to the United Kingdom. So it doesn't really have that much of an impact on Europe. And then when you look at some of the large companies in the United Kingdom, 75% of their sales, 75% of their revenue is generated from sales outside of the United Kingdom. Uh, and 57% of their revenue is generated from sales outside of Europe. So whichever way this plays out, again, it could provide some opportunity. It's one of those things that we don't worry about because we can't know. We're never going to change our investment philosophy on macro economic headlines, especially when it's something like this, when it's basically a coin flip as to which way it's going to go. <laughs> the next thing I would say that we're facing, you know, the Federal Reserve, when are they going to raise rates? They didn't raise rates in April. Uh, the latest uh, minutes came out from the Fed meeting indicating that they would consider raising rates uh, in June. And I think they've always said that, but they've also <laughs> always been very clear that they are data dependent. So with these slower growth numbers in employment, the 160,000, with the slower GDP growth, you know, that probably will give them some pause, even though we are seeing some uh, good numbers when we see consumer spending, and that goes more towards an inflationary number. 
Consumer spending and retail sales was up 1.3% in the last report we saw. So that number was actually pretty good. And that would give us uh, some confidence in the economy. And one thing that the Fed is not trying to do is they are not trying to spark a recession. So they're going to be very careful about when they raise rates. And I think in an election year with some of the uh, numbers, we'll probably push that decision off until later in the year. Now, the last thing, and this is something that, you know, we talked uh, with you guys about last week, is what impact is the election going to have on the stock market? Mm. Uh, So what did you guys come away with after we, we talked a little bit about that last week? People are more just worried about what's going to happen in general. In uh, general, right. Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, it really doesn't matter what their beliefs are, which side of the party they're on. People are going to worry because it's just like you said, it's that uncertainty. They don't mm-hmm. know what side is going to come down ahead. Uh, so they're really just uncertain, and that makes them hesitant to make a lot of changes. That's right. And the market hates uncertainty because everybody can play by the rules, but we just have to know what the rules are. <laughs> uh, and, you know, that will, again, lead to more volatility, but innovation doesn't stop. These companies, Apple is not going to stop developing iPhones regardless of who's in the Oval Office. So it's one of those things that we get caught up in thinking it's a big deal, and it could potentially be good or bad when we look at some of the things like regulations and potentially getting rid of some of the regulations. You know, you know, the regulatory burden on the U.S. is pretty severe, uh, so I thir- certainly think that would be a good thing. Uh, we saw some of the numbers that the regulatory cost, the cost of regulations in 2015, almost $1.9 trillion. Uh, that is a huge deal. If we want to do a stimulus package rather than doing quantitative easing, get rid of some of these regulations. Let these businesses innovate. Uh, take, put some of that money back into the economy. We also look, you know, we look historically and we looked at one study going back to 1944 and to see how the economy, uh, the stock market in particular, had performed during different years of the presidential cycle. And typically this is the only year, the fourth year of a second term, when you had an average negative return. The thought being... One of the best years is the third year in the first term. So think through that, guys. The third year in the first term. So what does every first-term president want to be? Second term. (laughs) That's exactly right. Reelected. So in that third year of your first term, guess what you're focused on? The economy. You want people to have jobs. You want them to feel good. You want to be reelected. So really, you focus on the fundamentals that help folks in the third year of the first term. But what are you thinking about in the fourth year of your second term? Probably how you're going to be remembered, right? Your legacy. legacy, Exactly right. Now you're thinking about your legacy. So now you're not focused as much on things that could potentially help the economy as things you want to accomplish and want to be remembered for. And that's why we sometimes see those negative numbers in the fourth year of a second term. But this year we hope we're going to end up with positive returns. Uh, We are... Always optimistic when we think about the future. The long-term trend in the market is and as as has always been up. Uh, But right now, we are going to take a quick break, check out traffic and weather, and we will be right back with Stanton Brown to talk about money and marriage. Keith Quinn, Stanton Brown, and Dane Williams are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services Incorporated, securities dealer member FINRA SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Talk money. We'll return right after this. Have you thought about pursuing a career in financial services but have no experience in the industry and need training? If you are goal-oriented, highly motivated, and enjoy working with people, you have the skill set Shoemaker Financial is looking for. Shoemaker Financial is continuing to grow their team of financial advisors in the Mid-South, and they're ready with the training and tools you need to get started. With over 35 years of providing professional advice, quality products, and excellent service in the Mid-South, you too can now be a part of their growing firm. If you're interested in learning more about this opportunity, contact 
contact Keisha Parrish at 901-757-5757 or email at kparish at shoemakerfinancial.com. You're listening to Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Podcasts of the Talk Money program are available for iOS mobile devices. Go to the iTunes store and search for Shoemaker Financial. Helping you make the most of your money, this is Talk Money. Good morning and welcome back to Talk Money here on AM 990. Of course, there's always a couple of ways you can listen to us on Friday mornings. You can go onto the radio and go to AM 990. Go onto the internet, kwam990.com. Just go over and click on Watch and Listen Live. Or if you can't catch the show today, go to iTunes or search for our podcast. Search for Shoemaker Financial. and can you, uh, you can listen to a recording of the show. I'm Keith Quinn here with Stanton Brown and Dane Williams. Stanton, we wanted to talk a little bit about money and marriage. And it's interesting. We come up here getting towards the end of May. Why is this a good time to be talking about that? That's a good point, because actually out of the 2.3 million couples that wed every year, 11% of that happens in June. So we're right upon that, that hot time. Right, at, right <laughs> up to the marriage season, 11% of the 2.3 million couples. I just think that's an amazing stat. Yeah, that's about 6,200 weddings a day. Think about that. <laughs> 6,200 weddings a day. A lot of uh, gifts. A lot of yeah, gifts. That yeah. is a lot yeah. of gifts. And I know you guys did a great job researching this, and I didn't even realize how big this number was, that the $72 billion a year spent on weddings, uh, that is a massive stimulus program. Yeah, it is. <laughs> you had a point there. And I don't think people really realize that the average wedding is twenty thousand dollars twenty thousand dollars for the average yeah, wedding yeah. that is a yeah that is a big financial uh, big financial hit mm-hmm. uh but it's for a good thing and again very stimulative of the economy so we love that so stanton talk to us a little bit about what you think you know when it comes to how couples should be thinking about marriage in the context of managing their money managing their finances i know that's a huge issue especially uh, again i know you said uh, and what were the statistics on the average age of some of the the couples starting out well the average bride is right about 25 years old and the average groom is 26 so they're fairly young, right? And young. and young in their careers as well. Absolutely. So getting married can be—it's it's a blessing, it's a romantic, a beautiful thing, but it can be a financial burden if it's not handled the right way. And I think the biggest myth out there is that fairy tale illustration that women need to wait to be emotionally and financially rescued by their super attractive man that has that's filthy rich. But in reality, they need to just work together as partners to make and manage and invest their money. And you can send all your emails to Stanton Brown about <laughs> the women, uh, women needing to be rescued. <laughs> uh, but I love that idea that, yeah, it's, uh, it is getting beyond the, the romantic and thinking about, again, we always talk about when we think about financial planning, having that disciplined approach. But there is never a greater time to be disciplined, to start off on the right foot when you're starting that new relationship, when you're starting that new life. And as you said, being that young, you have a lot of different things you can do. And doing a little planning on the front end makes a huge difference on the back end. So what are some of the other things, Stanton, that you would think about that, that they need to do when they're first starting out? How do they go about this process of, of, again, figuring out how they want to manage their money, what they want to do with their budget, how they're going to handle their finances? I think it really starts with just talking because both parties have their own viewpoints. Now, there is romance. Romance is the reason we came together. I hope so. Each, <laughs> but each partner has their own viewpoints of how they want to spend, invest, and and save their money. So if you're able to openly talk about that, that will conquer a lot of the uh, the mistakes that you can go through along the way. 
I think that is a great point. And actually, we were having a, a lunch meeting yesterday, and, and the gentleman that was presenting to us, a great friend of ours, uh, was talking about putting down a piece of a jigsaw puzzle. And he was saying, you know, what is the first thing you need to do to assemble this puzzle? Well, a lot of the people would say, you need to build an edge, or you need to work on the corner. Well, more fundamental than that, you need to figure out what the picture is. Mm-hmm. And the picture for a husband and the picture for a wife could be totally different. So as you said, you know, having that open communication, I think that would be key on the front end to make sure not necessarily that you have the same picture but you know which picture each person is focusing on so what's some of the other things they do and yeah. trying to think of this through the other thing is that that taboo of talking about money needs to be conquered uh, the money silence is something that's been passed down from generation to generation but the best couples are the ones that can again openly talk about this and it will be a gift to yourself and a gift to the next generation because things move so much more smoothly when you're able to do to sit down together and come to a common ground. And that's not something that's easy to do. Even someone who, who does this for a living, that's my job. I have hard right. financial conversations with everyone all the time in our job. Right. And that's not easy to do in my own marriage. So that is something that's going to take some uh, some boldness to go ahead and have that conversation. But I promise you it's worth it to go ahead and jump in and, and wade your way through the murky mod- waters of having that conversation. Yeah, and in the interest of full disclosure, neither Stanton or I are married. Uh, so Dane is the, actually the only one. We can give you great advice. We can tell you exactly how to do it. Uh, but Dane knows what it means to walk that out. And also, Dane, I wanted to take this opportunity, thinking about you and your marriage, to congratulate you on the birth of your daughter. Thank you. Uh, I know that uh, she is coming up on her five-week-old birthday. She, she hit five weeks on Tuesday. We're heading looking closer to six weeks. It flies uh, quickly. This is also the first time I've ever been invited on as the marriage expert of anything. So uh, <laughs> we're trying to get our way through it, but, uh, <laughs> well, that's a good place to be. So when we yeah. think about that and you're thinking about the communication and you don't want to have the misunderstandings, because, again, I think, uh, and Dane, would you say that, that it could lead to, you know, it could lead to people uh, uh, having misunderstandings, having hard feelings when there shouldn't really be hard feelings there if you just talk it out? Absolutely. And it's something that no one is going to be an expert on. You have so many other conversations throughout your marriage through one prism. And right. And you're going into another area that. Neither one of you is an expert on, and you're not sure how it's supposed to go or really what winning this conversation looks like. But as long as you're you're having the conversations, you're gonna you're gonna mess up. It's gonna happen. But uh, trying to to lean on sound advice best you right. can and continue to have the conversations is the best way to go. That's that's great advice. Right. So what's something else we do when we think about? Okay, you know we're going to talk about this. Uh, everybody's going to figure out what the picture is. Focus on that picture. Understand each other's differences. What's another thing you can do, Stan? Well, another thing is just being confident about, again, talking with your partner, but also not waiting to be financially rescued, not just waiting for that husband or this happens to men and women waiting on that spouse to just here, take all the finances. You have it. But the big question is what happens in in our world in planning too? what happens when that other spouse gets ill, right, dies or even leaves? How does there's so much grief? How do you even pay the bills? What how does planning move forward from there? Because life has to go on. I think that is a really good point and especially goes to the heart of what we do at Shoemaker Financial. And that is thinking about financial planning. So you mentioned a couple of things there. You know, what happens if someone gets sick? So how would you counsel a couple and what do they need to be thinking about as a way to address that possible problem? You definitely need to have emergency reserves in place, and that's just cash savings. And then also thinking about who's going to be taking care of this spouse if he's really ill. Are you going to be able to take off work? What what replaces your income in those periods, um, especially as couples get older in age as well, because that's a definitely a bigger factor. Right. So how much cash should they have on hand? 
Now, we recommend three to six months of expenses, but it, it's really almost a, a feel-good number for people. Of right. What number helps you feel be able to sleep at night for the most part? But three to six months is a good rule of thumb. I think that's a great rule of thumb, and ultimately that's what a lot of this is. Financial planning is peace of mind, uh, and so you can sleep at night and don't have to worry about this. One of the things that we see, too, is it's it's important to have this conversation before the disability or the illness or whatever it is that's right. going to come happens. Um, it's something that I'm walking through with some clients now that uh, the wife became ill, and they've got young kids. They're, they're walking through a lot of things that are, are tough conversations to have that it's a lot easier to have when everyone's healthy, everyone's of sound mind, and you're able to make those decisions and make sure everyone's wishes are followed. I think that's a great point. And one of the things that I would sometimes say is, you know, when did Noah build the ark? Before the rain, yeah. uh, right? So you prepare for these things, and then you're prepared on the back end. Now, you kind of mentioned disability. So, Sam, you were talking about having that cash reserve. Is that something that couples should consider? I mean, these are young couples. You know, they're not going to get sick. They're not going to miss work. Should they be thinking about disability insurance? Well, I mean, we're all six feet tall and bulletproof, so <laughs> that's right. But honestly, that is a young person. That's your largest asset. Your ability to go in and work for the next forty years is the largest thing you'll ever put on a balance sheet. So, protecting that should be one of your big concerns. Absolutely, and I think that's a great point. And that is that is your biggest financial asset. Well, I know we talked about, so we're talking about being sick, you know, and again, no one wants to have that. You never think about being disabled, uh, but it's one of those things that if you look at the statistics, it happens. So it's something that you need to plan for. Uh, we love working with our clients because they care about each other. They're willing to do this. Sometimes you have to make some sacrifices as far as spending that short-term sacrifice to ensure that you do are prepared for these crises. Absolutely, absolutely. So the next one you'd mentioned, Stanton, what happens if one of the, and again, we don't like to think about this, but it's all too real, uh, what happens uh, in the event of uh, one of the spouse's death? So what do you counsel couples when you're thinking about that? Well, the big thing is if it happens, then there's a lot of things we have to think about as far as we're in that grieving period. So decisions are hard to make right then. Are we always making the best decision at that time? Right. But there, there are things that have to be taken care of as far as a funeral. Um, you should have, again, some cash on hand right. of be able to get through these months because, again, you are grieving. But then how does life move forward? Because it must move on if there's kids involved. They still have to go to school. They right. should, they have a future as well, but that's college involved. And hopefully we've thought about this on the back end, but is there funds to replace that spouse's leaving? So, um, and how would we? Well, I'll tell you what. Let's uh, let's pause it right there and go uh, take a quick break. We'll go to uh, uh, Charles Osgood, but we're going to come back and talk to Stanton Brown about some of the ways that we can protect from some of the issues that we all deal life deal with as part of this life. Financial advisors do not provide specific tax and or legal advice, and this information should not be considered as such. You should always consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your own specific tax or legal situation. Talk money. We'll return right after this. Take a second and think about the three most important goals or priorities in your life right now. At Shoemaker Financial, their team of qualified and experienced financial professionals is committed to helping you achieve these goals or priorities. From insurance needs to college funding, retirement, or estate planning, Shoemaker Financial is here to help you accomplish your long-term financial objectives. To learn more, visit ShoemakerFinancial.com or contact them at 901-757-5757. At Shoemaker Financial, it's not just the plan, it's the results.
Investments will fluctuate, and when redeemed, may be worth more or less than when originally invested. Past performance is not indicative of future results. And now, welcome back to Talk Money. Good morning. Welcome back to Talk Money. I'm Keith Quinn, in for Jim Shoemaker, here with Stanton Brown and Dane Williams, and we're talking about money and marriage. Now, Stanton, when we went to break, we were talking a little bit about some of the uh, potential things that you could face, unfortunately, in a marriage, and one of them was the loss of a spouse. Uh, so how, you know, you were talking about being able to replace a spouse's income. Uh, so what would you counsel a couple when you're thinking along those lines? Well, definitely before the tragedy, we definitely want to look at what is what do you have at work? What is right. inside that group plan? And then more so outside of just what else is needed, what else do you want? Life insurance should be more than just a need factor, but it's what else should the family need? I mean, want to move on. It's like driving a car. You can drive any car to work, but you probably want something nicer. And then life insurance could be should be around that same boat. Absolutely. Good point. And I think, you know, also thinking about life insurance, uh, it's freedom. It's freedom. A lot of times if the husband dies, you know, and the, and the wife doesn't have to go back to work right away again, dealing with this tragedy, uh, that's taking care of your family. A lot of times we see husbands that come in wanting to talk about life insurance or wives that want their husbands to talk about life insurance. <laughs> and that's because yeah. they, they take their role as a provider seriously. Absolutely. But even if Absolutely. they're not here, they know they've got a wife and kids that they want to provide for. And they want to make sure that the life that they have planned for them is going to be able to happen. Yeah, I think I that's think a great point. The one that's forgotten about is the spouse that is not the main provider, but that also does a lot of the regular duties as far as picking up the kids, sure. cooking, cleaning, or anything may, that may pertain. If that person is gone, who has to do that? Who's paying for that to be replaced? I think, and that's things people don't think about. I think that's a great point. You know, it's hard to put a dollar value on some of the stuff uh, that moms would do. Uh, and I certainly know my mom was a great example of that. You couldn't have paid someone to do all the things that she did. Uh, so that's really important. Now, we talked about disability, what happens if someone gets sick. We've talked about what happens if one of the uh, spouses, unfortunately, dies. And the other one that we probably see that's even more common uh, would be divorce. So what do we think about? Again, we're not planning for divorce. We're planning to stay married forever. But in the event of a divorce... You know, what are some of the things that, again, you guys would counsel people on? That's absolutely time to, to seek out a financial advisor. If you've never had real conversations with or you don't have your own uh, financial advisor, you've always had one that you've used as a spouse uh, with your spouse, that's a good time to seek counsel from a financial advisor because a right. lot of times you have one member of the marriage that oftentimes kind of handles a lot of the decision-making or those conversations with the financial advisor. Both are involved, ideally, right? Um, but a lot of times just seeing it in real life, um, there's usually one that's kind of the primary contact for us as a financial advisor. So if you're someone that's never had these conversations, you absolutely need to start having these conversations with a financial advisor to make sure you're getting good guidance. You're making good decisions at the time when you need the most. I think that's I think that's great advice. And a large part of that is also why we ask every couple to come in together because uh, 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 I'm sorry, but deviating <laughs> duties is one thing. I mean, divide and conquer, that is a great uh, strategy. But when it comes to managing your money as a family, that's something that needs to be done as a team, mm -hmm. and not just left to one person to take on all on their own. I think that is a great point. And that's a difficult one to say, deviating duties. I guess you can stumble <laughs> over that. Uh, so when you think about that, what are some of the advantages of a couple coming in and talking to an advisor together in the advisor's office? Well, it gives them a place to, again, talk about the money in an open forum and a uh, safe place. Let them resolve their financial differences. Let me be the bad guy, I guess. And, Absolutely. And also make, decide on your future as a team, not just one person has to lead it all the time. 
That's a that's great points uh, and good advice, I think, for all married couples. And I know you guys uh, both do a great job of counseling people on that. And really, you know, ultimately, I think of our job as advisors is as much being counselors as it is coming up with the, the solutions and the, uh, the statistics and the data and how do we invest this and where do we structure that. It's more about counseling them about their financial lives. Now, I just want to wrap this up. And uh, we were talking, you know, about all of the conflicts that can come into a marriage. Uh, and I know you guys have had one st- uh, statistic that I thought was really interesting. Uh, tell me about that one, Stan. Yeah, I recently read an interesting article in CNBC that 80% of spouses have admitted to hiding some financial purchase from their partners. <laughs> Which is like, yeah, I probably yeah, I 80% see I see have admitted to it. And I would say the other 20% are probably fudging that a little bit. Yeah, 20% liars. <laughs> yeah. So, Dana, I know you guys never have that problem. You've never hidden a purchase from your wife? No, it's uh, they always find out. Always. <laughs> Ideally, it's, it's a small thing that you're only going to get yelled at once for. But, uh, hard to hide a boat. Exactly. <laughs> hard, to, hard to hide a boat for sure. Yeah. I've actually got clients. I've got clients. They had this conversation because he bought a car without her... Uh, uh, her knowledge. And, uh, oh my! Yeah, that's wow. six years wow. later, she's still bringing it up. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd say that will last forever. Yeah. Uh, but is it sometimes? You know, it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. So, <laughs> in some context, yeah. <laughs> in some context. Well, Stanton, that was great. Thank you so much. Uh, let's take a quick break. We'll go to Rebecca Brazier for a Mid South History moment, and come right back with Dane Williams to talk about some of the reasons that your retirement is probably gone, not going to look like your parents and grandparents. Shoemaker Financial and Securian Financial Services do not provide tax or legal advice. Individuals should always consult their tax or legal professionals regarding their own specific situation. Talk Money will return in just a few moments. Despite its uniqueness, Memphis shares a great deal in common with its southern neighbor, Jackson, Mississippi. Founded within two years of each other, both cities were inseparable from the legacy of Andrew Jackson, who co-founded Memphis and in whose honor the new capital of Mississippi was named. Although, like Memphis, Jackson was founded on a river bluff, it is the only state capital to be built over an extinct volcano. Both cities were captured by Union forces in the early days of the Civil War, but Jackson bore the brunt of the fighting and was burned to the ground three times. The very few buildings that were left standing in the aftermath were for the most part either Union Army positions including the governor's mansion, are structures used as civilian hospitals, such as Jackson City Hall. Today, Jackson is a regional medical hub known for many medical innovations, including the first successful lung transplant. This has been another Mid-South History Moment, brought to you by Shoemaker Financial. You're listening to Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Just search for Shoemaker Financial. And now, once again, here's your host for Talk Money, Jim Shoemaker. Good morning and welcome back to Talk Money. I'm Keith Quinn here with Stanton Brown and Dane Williams. Uh, We've been talking about money and marriage. But now, Dane, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about some of the reasons that you're not going to be able to retire like your parents and grandparents. And to begin with, what do you mean by that? Well, I mean, if there was just one reason why it might be an easy fix, but right. when we start looking at the changes in health care, we look at the changes in life expectancy, and then also the changes the way retirement was previously funded, I just I don't think most people's retirements are going to look like their parents or grandparents did. I think that's a I think that's exactly right. So, and I think one of the key ones that you hit on, and something uh, certainly we spend a lot of time thinking about, is that longevity. So, tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about that. 
So I was looking at a study that was done by the CDC, and they said the life expectancy for someone born in 1900 right. was 47 years old. 47 years old. 47 years old. When we bumped that up to someone born in 1950, they got it up to 68. Um, and I just did, went to the Social Security Department, and they have a calculator that estimates life expectancy for my daughter. Born five weeks ago now, right? Right, right. She's expected to live almost 87 years. 87 years from, yeah. So when you look at basically a, almost 100 years there from 1900 when it was 47 to my daughter now, it's... 87 years old. That's almost doubled. And, you know, we, we've got to take a look at what it's going to take to fund those extra, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, probably more of retirement than our parents had. And where's that money going to come from? Absolutely. And I think that is a, a really important point because we think a lot about, and I know clients think a lot when they think about how long is your time horizon and whether they're retiring at 65, 66, 67, they kind of think, you know, that's my time horizon. But no, your time horizon is going out to your 80 years old, 90 years old. So from a planning perspective, it's really that much more important to seek professional advice and planning. And that's the toughest thing about our job. We never want to plan for someone that we need to say, hey, you should probably die soon because you're going to run out of money. You know, yeah, you never right. want to have that. <laughs> conversation. No, we don't want to build that into the plan. <laughs> so so from our planning side of things, you know, we're, we're starting with a life expectancy of 90, 90. And, and we're actually having conversations about should we move it back even further? I know other planning departments around the country are starting to have those conversations as well. I think they will. And I recently saw the headline of an article that said planning to 100. Uh, and, you know, that's one of the things we have to think about. Well, thinking about that longer retirement, we talked about that, having to fund that for, you know, decades longer. What are one of the uh, some of the other things? And I know this is a major one that we really need to think about. Yeah, it's medical cost. Right. Um, I was looking, there was a couple different studies done and they were talking about what are our estimates for insurance premium for a couple that's retiring at 65 today? And okay. What's that going to cost? And the studies ranged in cost, but just on insurance premiums alone, they were saying it's going to be between 245000 and 266000 was kind of what the ranges looked like. And those costs aren't factoring in deductibles. They're not factoring in co-pays. And they're not factoring in long-term care, which could be a huge chunk of that. So a quarter of a million dollars just for the premium. Exactly. Exactly. And then when you start looking at long-term care, I went to longtermcare.gov, and they said that could be nearly seven grand a month. $7,000 a month. Uh, wow. That is that is absolutely outrageous. Which, uh, and that's that's different from back in 1900 when you were passing away at, at 47. You, you got sick and you died. That was the end of it. That cost wasn't uh, absolutely wasn't what it is now. But and it's it's a good thing that we're getting better with our, our medical advancements and all these. But there is a cost associated with it. And we've got to find a way to fund it. Right. If, if uh, you know, the average age is, is you're dying at 47, you don't have to worry about funding your retirement. Exactly. Uh, but if you're going to live to 90, if you're going to live to 100, not only funding your lifestyle, but paying those premiums on the products that would take care of you, that is a huge burden. So how do you help people and how do you explain that to younger couples? It's, it's really about having preparation. You want to right. make sure that the funds are going to be there and that they're saving enough. Whenever we're building financial plans that are factoring in retirement, we're looking at those medical costs as well. We're looking at long-term care costs. We want to make sure that when that time's going to come, the funds are going to be there. Great. And that, that $7,000 you mentioned for long-term care, that's the premiums for the long-term care, right? That's not the actual long-term care. So, no, that's the actual care. That, that's that's, the actual that's what it's going to cost in a that's, home. Okay, I got you. What it's going to cost in the home. So you've got 7000 a month, almost seven, 80 grand. 80 grand a year. That is, that is a huge wow. hit wow. and can be a huge hit to your retirement plan. So you save up this money your whole life. You have it to spend, but then you've got to turn around and spend $80,000 a year on a long-term care uh, uh, to stay in a long-term care facility. That could blow up your plan. And it's it's... 
a unique conversation to have when you have someone that spent his lifetime accumulating assets and think of what they're going to do with their, their wealth they've accumulated. They're going to be able to leave it to their kids and their grandkids. Right. Um, but when long-term care happens, it ends up putting a huge drain on that. And that's, you know, one of the things that I guess you think about when you think about insurance is you are insuring those assets for your heirs. So what are some of the other things? One of the things you talked about, Dane, was, you know, having to fund that retirement potentially for decades, uh, mm-hmm. you know, having to make the uh, the money that you've saved up your whole life last a long time. How has that changed when we're thinking about the way it used to be and the way it is now? So probably in the last 50 or 60 years, we've seen a huge change as it relates to pensions. Uh, right. The way, the way it used to be is you'd go work in the factory or the mill or wherever you worked for 25, 30 years. You'd get your gold watch. You'd retire. You'd turn on your pension. You'd receive it for a handful of years, and then you'd die. Um, And because of increased longevity and increased lifespans that we're starting to see, um, that's a good thing. But someone's got to figure out how to fund that, and and corporations and government is starting to adjust how they're doing that. I mean, we've seen that just in our own city here in the past few years with the police department, the firefighters, the city of Memphis having to adjust how they have their pension plan. Um, So pensions are starting to go away, and that was a huge piece of how people funded their retirement in the past. We're starting to see families having to adjust what they're doing in their savings goals to make sure they're going to have the funds to make up that that missing piece. And pretty easy for a company to uh, uh, fund your retirement when you're uh, you know only expected to live to 47. A little bit tougher when you're living to 90. So I guess they're pushing that off onto the individuals, onto the government. Absolutely. And I know you saw a really interesting statistic about how many uh, people have pension plans, still have pension plans. Yeah. So this was in 2010 when they did this study. So it's right. been a little while ago. But they said only 17% of American workers have pensions. And like I said, the city of Memphis. They've already taken, so that's taking away from that. Right. Companies really aren't adding that back. So over 80% of the people are basically going to be on their own as far as funding their retirement. Absolutely. It's going to be 401ks. It's going to be IRAs. It's going to be places they can store money back on their own because they're not going to have that steady income stream coming from an employer for the most Americans. Well, now, one of the things that does help you in retirement and that we do talk an awful lot about is uh, Social Security. So tell us how that plays out in this picture. But there's just so much change going on. And we talked about how the market doesn't like instability. Uh, Americans don't like instability in general. And Social Security is something that's a hot topic that's in the news regularly. There's a lot of a lot of changes that, that may need to occur. They're running into the same issues that they ran into with pensions about how are we going to fund it for that longer How are we going to fund it? Right. So, And we, we just don't know. Uh, ultimately, I, I'm not a prognosticator. I couldn't guess because ultimately it's a politician that's got to make that decision that says, I'm going to give somebody less money. And that, that usually hurts your chances of being reelected. Um, so someone's got to make that decision at some point to find a way that we're going to fund it. But at this point, we just don't know. Uh, we're seeing a lot of our younger clients that whenever they're going into planning, they say, just plan on me not having it because I don't know what it's going to be. And if I can take that variable out, right. then I want to go ahead and take that into my own control. I think that's a great point. And obviously, Social Security is something that you know generates a lot of press. It's a hot topic. And I think you're exactly right. In an election year, you're not <laughs> going to hear a lot of people talking about Social Security reform. No one wants to talk about changing their benefits. Although, as we've said in the past, and I think I've said on the show, uh, you know, there seems to be some common sense things that we could do. As longevity becomes more and more of a fact of life, you know, it doesn't matter if we raise the retirement age a little bit. And that would go a long way towards eliminating some of the shortfalls we see in Social Security. You know, I think we would say at the firm that Social Security, we plan on it being there. It may be reduced in benefits, uh, but it is one of those things that eventually, you know, we will have to address it and it'll be something that we have to think about and we have to counsel our clients on. So is that, you know, something that we can be a little bit positive about, even though there are some negatives? Absolutely. It's just changes that we're going to have to adapt and go with. We can only put a plan with the cards that we have on the table today. So as we're starting to to make those adjustments, we we say that plans change as well. Everyone's financial plan will eventually be out of date. 
and it's going to need to be updated because life's going to happen. Things are going to change. Uh, you may have had the set date of when you're going to retire, but then we see people that come in all the time that decided they want to start an encore career or they want to get some sort of, uh, they call it a jobby. It's a job hobby to where they're going to work <laughs> in, 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 in some form or fashion, whether it's, right. I want to take up woodworking or I'm going to sell reeds or who knows what they're doing, right? But people start to to find new ways of income in retirement because we're still in pretty good health in our 60s and 70s, and we can still contribute to society. Fantastic. Let's take a break and go to traffic and weather and come back, and we will continue talking with Dane Williams about some of the ways that your retirement might be different than your parents and grandparents, but it's not all bad news. Helping you make the most of your money, Talk Money will return right after this. Take a second and think about the three most important goals or priorities in your life right now. At Shoemaker Financial, their team of qualified and experienced financial professionals is committed to helping you achieve these goals or priorities. From insurance needs to college funding, retirement, or estate planning, Shoemaker Financial is here to help you accomplish your long-term financial objectives. To learn more, visit ShoemakerFinancial.com or contact them at 901-757-5757. At Shoemaker Financial, it's not just the plan. It's the result. Helping you make the most of your money. This is Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. And now, once again, here's your host for Talk Money, Jim Shoemaker. Welcome back to Talk Money here on AM 990, the voice of Memphis. I'm Keith Quinn, in for Jim Shoemaker. We've been talking with Stanton Brown and Dane Williams. We've been talking with Dane about some uh, ways that retirement is different now for people. But I did want to take this time and go ahead and just make a couple of quick announcements uh, for some presentations that we have coming up. Wealth Management for Your Financial Goals, that is going to be on Monday, May 30th. It is for UTHSC residents and fellows. So anyone that is listening that has an interest, uh, that is a UTHC UTHSC resident or fellow, uh, please reach out to either Nathan Powell or Chris Purcell, who will be putting this on uh, Wealth Management for Your Financial Goals Monday, May 30th. Uh, just give them a call at 901-757-5757. And then also Retirement Strategies 101, which is a financial seminar geared towards nurse practitioners. So any nurse practitioners who would have an interest in attending that at on Tuesday, June 7th at 530. Again, Retirement Strategies for Nurse Practitioners, Tuesday, June 7th at 530. That's going to be at the Crescent Club. So just reach out to Landon Mills at 901-757-5757. Be happy to sign you up for that. It's going to be some great information. Uh, coming back, Dane, to what we were talking about, and we're talking about how retirement looks a little bit different. And some of the things we've talked about have sounded pretty bad. You know, we don't have the government <laughs> pensions anymore. You know, we have to think about these outrageous $7,000 a month long-term care costs. And I was thinking in the terms of premiums and how much premium you have to pay a year. Some of these things are pretty bad, but it's not all bad. Absolutely. And I always tell people this, that it's not all doom and gloom. Right. Um, but it's important to have uh, one of two things. It's either important to have time or money. And if you've got both, that really helps. Time uh, and money. If you've got time, we can we can make the plan. We can start making adjustments so that we can we can do all the things that, that you're wanting to do. You can have the retirement you, you want to live. Um, we always have a conversation. We talk about what is retirement going to look like for you. We try to get people to visualize what that's going to look like. Right. And with enough time, we can build a plan to do it. Um, if you don't have time, hopefully you've got a lot of money. And if, you, if you've got a lot of money, call 901-757-5757. Ask for Dane. I can take care of you. Um, but all, all kidding aside, I mean, some of these studies are great news. I mean, we're living longer. That's a good thing, right? That's a great uh, thing. We, we look at it from just a, a cold mass set standpoint sometimes in our shoes, like how are we going to fund this living longer? But some of these medical advancements we're making are allowing us to improve our quality of life as we age, and that's awesome. 
Uh, there are absolutely some challenges we may face as we're trying to do it, but there are a lot of people that are six feet under that would much rather have those challenges than the challenges they currently face. I think that is that is a great point, and we are living longer, and you know we obviously are more susceptible as we get older to things, you know, and obviously the and one of the things that we were talking about yesterday, you know, the incidence of of Alzheimer's as you get older is a pretty alarming uh, when you see some things like that. But I also know that my father had his 81st birthday uh, this month, uh, and I called him on his birthday to wish him a happy birthday, and I said, Dad. What are you doing? Uh, he was outside digging a post hole uh, with post <laughs> hole diggers. Uh, so, you know, quality of life. He's still doing awfully well to be 81. You know, and that's great. Some of those medical advances, and you're seeing people that are up into their 80s and 90s and still playing golf and, and doing all these things. Absolutely. That were crazy to think about 30, 40 years ago. And we just continue to make these medical advancements. And that's some of the good things. Now we just have to make sure we're doing a good enough job planning on our end so that we can fund those lifestyles. Again, planning, and I think you said it exactly right, Dane, you know, time or money. And Stanton, that comes back to what you were talking about. So when you're talking with these younger couples and, you know, the average age of couples getting married, you know, 26, 27, do you start to talk to them and emphasize the importance of financial planning at that early of an age? Because retirement seems way off in the future when you're in your 20s. Absolutely, because there needs to be a plan. And, And at some point, they are making their own plans, but it's actually putting it on paper and making that vision where they both know where we're going. Mm -hmm. And I really, I hate to use the word retirement because again, it is so far off. Let's focus on what we can do now and let's move towards it. And I think, guys, one of the things that that you do such a great job of is helping them have that discipline to do that plan. You know, have that discipline when we think about generating money or retirement income. You know, we want to be saving in a disciplined way. And the sooner you start, the better off you are. It's like that old expression, you know, the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. (laughs) Exactly right. Second best time is today, right? Uh, Today, yeah. So we want to start having the conversations now. It's important for you to start your planning today. A lot of times we'll see young couples that think they've got plenty of time in the world to start having these conversations when they turn 30, when they turn 40, when they turn whatever. There's always tomorrow to someone that wants to plan. Right. But mm-hmm. if you start having those conversations today, you can make a huge impact towards start accomplishing your goals sooner. And I think, right. you know, when we look at some of the statistics of, of the different impacts, you know, if you start saving when you're 26 as opposed to you start at 36 or you start at 46, and we're talking about saving for retirement, it can make a huge difference on the back end. You can put in a lot less money as long as you're disciplined about it and as long as you start at an earlier age. And Absolutely. it builds up. And then, you know, that's the way you generate wealth. That's the way you take care of yourselves in retirement. That's the way you have a legacy to pass on to your kids. Absolutely. It's all about consistency and discipline. Consistency and discipline. Now, do you work with clients on discipline? Do you tell them what they can spend? (laughs) Well, I I don't like to. But But if you have to. (laughs) What's what's important? Go ahead, Stan. I'm sorry. Well, it's more so is finding what do they value? Because, again, I'm not going to tell them what they can spend their money on, but we're going to talk about some goals you have. And if this is really a value to you, then we should put X amount dollars towards it and then let them make the decision. What's important for us, the math is the math. Uh, So it's our job to to help clients do whatever important, what is important for them. So sometimes we have clients that want to come in and retire by age 60. Sometimes we have clients that come in that want to spend $1,000 a month on shoes. And it doesn't matter to me. It's my job to help you accomplish whatever your goals are. Yeah, but we've already found out that that $1,000 a month on the shoes, 80% of them aren't going to admit to that, right? Exactly. Yeah. They're going to hide it. 81% will hide it. <laughs> well, guys, this has been a great show. Thank you so much for coming on. Again, I've been here with Dane Williams and Stanton Brown. Great job, guys. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having great. us. Absolutely. And you can reach out to either one of these guys at Shoemaker Financial. Again, the number is 901-757-5757. They would be happy to sit down with you, talk about your personal financial situation. So I would encourage you just to give them a call. 
Well, I'm Keith Quinn. I've been in for Jim Shoemaker. Jim is going to be back next week with Kurt Zarnowski talking about Social Security along with Ted Miner. Should be a great show. So I hope you can tune in then and listen to them and get some updates on what's going on with Social Security. But I would like to thank Francis Fortner, our guest coordinator, Art Frederick, our program director and board operator who always does a phenomenal job, uh, our production assistant, Eleanor Moskovitz, our compliance officer, Jim Shoemaker. Until next time, it's Keith Quinn helping you make the most of your money. Keith Quinn, Dane Williams are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Security and Financial Services Incorporated, securities dealer member FINRA SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated.